a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Tonight on our Relationship Hour, we're going to talk about our struggles with intimacy and codependency and why some people end up in emotionally abusive relationships. Uh, But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion at 514-800. Remember, you can always send me your emails to laurie at drlaurie.com as well. Let me just get to a couple of texts uh, left over from last night that were questions. I'm single. Does it make sense for me to go to a swingers club? Uh, Well, I'm not sure. It's not a question of whether it makes sense or not, but a lot of the swingers clubs don't um, necessarily allow single men in there. So you may have to grab a girlfriend or like a friend that's a girl or what have you to to be able to go in there so you'd have to check and see so I know that they limit the number of single guys uh, that can go what are you looking for if you're looking for just sex like don't expect that just going there it's going to be a free-for-all and you can just grab whatever whoever you see to your liking and that's what people are there for like there are a lot of rules you can't be creepy. You can't just touch people without uh, without uh, the permission. Like there are, they, they have their code of uh, conduct for those things. So you bet best if you familiarize yourself with that. Uh, and it may not be exactly what you think, thinking that oh, I'll go to a swingers club and get laid. You know, uh, it may not happen that way exactly. So um, you could try if this is what you're interested in. Um, Let me know how that turns out, though. I'd be curious. Uh, Question, uh, can some transsexuals also be bisexual? So this is on the heels of our conversation uh, last night about uh, transgendered folks. So transsexuals can be gay, can be lesbian, can be bisexual, actually. It's not a question of orientation. Uh, we used to think, oh, well, if um, if a man, uh, you know, uh, becomes a woman, then the, wo- then the woman must be attracted to men. But they could also be attracted to women and maybe just only women. So that would make them, once they transition, they, it would make them lesbians, essentially. Uh, so, yes, your orientation is separate from your gender. Uh, so they're two separate things. Um, I'm in a long distance relationship. Uh, he lives in Toronto. I live in Montreal. We don't see each other much and we don't talk on the phone. We mostly text. I don't want to move there and he doesn't want to move here. Do you think I should see other people? What do you think? Should you be bothering with this type of relationship? Where is it going? What do you want? So I'm going to ask you, what do you want? Do you want a, a, a partner in your life on a regular basis? Do you want companionship? If you're living far apart and all you're having is a texting relationship, well, there's nobody that nobody's available there. Talking about unavailable partners, like what about the emotional side, emotional availability, when you need somebody to lean on, when you need a hug, when... Like all of this is just not going to be there. And if long-term you're thinking, I, I, I want a serious relationship, 
and neither is willing to budge and change locations, then what's the point? Why would you do that? Like, why would you put yourself through that? So if you are, my only thinking is that it's convenient somehow for you. It, it, it meets your needs. So maybe you don't want to be too attached or maybe you don't want to be too emotionally available. And, and so this has worked for you, but maybe now you realize, okay, maybe I want something else and maybe this isn't going to work for me. A uh, text writes, is there a swingers type club for single women to go to? Single women can go to any swingers clubs. They will welcome you with open arms. That's the difference. So single men have a harder time going into swingers clubs, but women, yes. And part of it is that oftentimes, uh, swinger couples, let's say, may be looking for a, another woman to have a threesome with. Uh, so that is more common than looking for another guy, for example, to, to have a threesome with. So you would have much less problems getting into a swingers club as a single woman. I could tell you that. How do we go about restoring intimacy in our couple? So I'm going to assume you're talking about sexual intimacy. Oftentimes when people say the word intimacy, they really mean sex. So I'll go with that for now. Um, so to restore it, I, I'm assuming then that uh, you've you've grown apart from uh, from your partner, and maybe sexuality and getting back into it seems uh, awkward, and so you know people tend to avoid it because it's kind of weird if you haven't had sex, let's say, in a year, and then you want to 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 kickstart it up again. So the best way to do this is first of all, there shouldn't be, um, any pressure. Like I would, I would ask the question is one person in the couple being pressured, uh, sexually are, uh, is the reason why you have pulled apart sexually because one of you is saying no to sexual intimacy. So if that's the case, then I would ask, or the, for the person that's retreated, have they been getting their non-sexual needs met, their needs for affection, attention, and things like that? That's a question. The next question I would ask is if, if things have just gone that way and both of you are equally responsible, is it because the stress of life uh, is has gotten in the way? Is it a time factor thing? Sometimes for couples, they... They just don't have time to, to build in couple time. And you actually, you, you have to, you have to make the time for that. So there's no like magic, uh, cure for this kind of thing. You have to make time to be a couple. You can't have intimacy without time together. So just, that's number one. So make dates, plan sexual evenings that don't have to lead to intercourse, by the way. Uh, if it's not an evening, make it a lunch date, but do something where you're getting, um, getting together, find out what your partner needs non-sexually. So it's not just about, I need sex. I need sex. Find out from the, your partner, Hey, what do you need to be open? What, what, what do I need to do? Or what would you like me to do? What do you need more of? And oftentimes I'll hear, especially from women that they want a lot of the non-sexual touch that they, they kind of uh, retreat from sexuality because they feel that every time they get close 
physically to their partner and, and maybe all they want is affection, uh, that their partner takes that as an invitation to, uh, to pre- pressure, sometimes in very subtle ways, but pressure for, for sex. And so they tend to avoid any kind of contact so as not to trigger that, that response. So when I see couples like that, I tell them sex is off the table temporarily. We take it off the table and we start with non-sexual intimacy, which is the affection and the cuddling and the closeness. Um, and just like, so that we take away that whole, the, the pressure of performance, the pressure of needing to fulfill that particular need, etc. So start with the non-sexual intimacy so that we can warm up the, the two people here, warm up the hearts of the two people, get their, these other needs met so that we can then move on into, uh, sexual touching and, and, um, more sexual activity. If you're finding yourself in this kind of situation and you feel stuck as a couple, I strongly recommend that you see a marriage counselor, a therapist, uh, someone who specializes in sexuality, who can deal with this with you, like who can get all the issues out into the open and uh, identify what the actual problem is because it's often a symptom of something else and then, uh, and move on from there. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Tonight on our Relationship Hour, I want to talk about uh, codependency. I'm sure you've heard of that uh, of that term before. Another term that another colleague uses is self-love deficiency syndrome, which I also really like. But how do you recognize if you are in a codependent relationship, which are often quite emotionally abusive relationships? And tonight we can talk about how we end up there, what they look like, and how we end up there and what we can do to change the course of our lives really, uh, by recognizing it and then hopefully doing something different. Uh, with me tonight is one of our, um, one of my favorite regulars, David Essel. He's a best-selling author, counselor, master life coach, and minister. He has a new book coming out. I'm not going to tell you much about it cause it's still hush hush, right, David? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lori, that is so cute. So well, let's start right from the beginning because you talk a lot about it. I have I have the privilege of reading, pre-reading the book before anybody else. I'm really excited about it. And in there, there's a lot of talk about um, codependency and how we end up there. But maybe we'll, first we need to define codependency for our listeners. Yeah, Dr. Lori, it's one of those, and, and we believe it's the largest addiction in the world, and it's one of those addictions that has 10,000 spokes. I mean, you know, it goes from the enabler, so you're in a relationship with someone who's an addict, an alcoholic of any type whatsoever, and instead of putting down boundaries and consequences to get them to get the help they need to save themselves and the relationship, we just enable them. And it might be that we say, oh, that's okay, you know, have another drink, I'm driving, whatever it might be. So there's the enabler. Um, 
you know, codependents also are really afraid to rock the boat. This is another one of the spokes, you know, where they just want everyone to get along. Right. And that's great in a perfect world, but it surely isn't the world that we live in. So they're afraid of rocking the boat. They crave affection. They crave attention. The foundational concept of what creates codependency, Lori, is low self-confidence and low self-esteem. So yeah. someone with really high self-confidence and high self-esteem, which is simply self-love, wouldn't be in a relationship where they were being talked down to, they were being lied to, cheated on on a regular basis. Uh, they would say, okay, you know, enough of that. The codependent, the codependent is oftentimes afraid to be alone. And so they will stay stuck in relationships that are not healthy for them. And then there's a flip side, the exact opposite of what I just shared, and that's the controller, uh, the dominator, the individual that looks for people that will give in and don't have strong morals or ethics or a strong backbone. And they will convince this person that they're fortunate to be in a relationship sure. with them. The controller will cut off family members, friends. They'll try to do what it's called. They'll try to control their partner. So codependency in a nutshell goes all over the board, but the basics of it is that we just don't feel strong enough on average to deserve a great relationship, Lori, so we stay too long in those unhealthy ones. Right, and I think that's the key is, uh, is that we can all fall prey to the controller or the person who or the narcissist <clears throat> or the person that's charming and and all of that but it's the the key is the staying so we can we can fall like we can get, be attracted to it but we soon discover it and the if you're have strong self-love let's say you recognize it and say i'm definitely like this is not for me you recognize the the red flags and if you're on the flip side you tend to make excuses for the other person as well, or at least not look at the red flags too closely. It's like, yeah, but, you know, there's a yeah. but. <laughs> and, that's, and that's huge what you just said, Lori. That is massive. So we'll have your friends maybe are saying to you, why are you still with that guy? He treats you like crap. And they go, well, you know, he has good intentions. And he didn't mean to, you know, push me the other day, or he didn't mean to talk bad to me in public. You know, that there's always that justification, right. you know, or, you know, he's normally a great guy or she's normally a great girl. She normally doesn't pull that kind of stuff, but they're saying that for years, right? right. Not, not just a one-time occurrence. It's something that occurs regularly. Or they have a good heart or, yeah. but they're a really good father or like yeah. I've heard, I've heard it all. I, I know that you have done thousands, clocked in thousands of hours working uh, with clients like this, I see this also every single day in my practice and sometimes the whole day, like every single person that walks into my office, that is the issue that they, they come with. It's, it's quite amazing. And, um, it's just having a, a today seeing a, a couple talking about boundaries and consequences, you know, and part of the problem is the the lack of of the boundaries like not putting a consequence so that they'll say yes but i tell them i don't like it and i want them to stop and this must stop but then there's no consequence for it repeating again so it enables the person to say well she's not going to leave or that he's not going to do anything differently so i might as well do what i want to do anyway a hundred percent as a matter of fact we tell every client the same thing and i write about it in the new book that you're talking about 
when you set boundaries without consequences, it's called nagging. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> so, and, and when you're a nagger, you have lost all respect. Your partner does not respect you at all. So let's say that someone has the intention that they're not going to put up with this again. And so they say it's the fifth time you've done this, the 25th time, whatever it might be. And if you do it again, well, the other person is basically laughing inside. They're going, oh, my God, here, here he goes. Here, here he we goes. go again, yeah. And, and I know they're not going to leave, and I know they're not going to do anything. So that person will sit there and go, honey, I'm sorry, you're right, I won't do it again. And they'll go do it again. And then the other person is back seven days, 30 days, six months later going, and if you do this one more time. So, you know, really it's a, it's a lack of respect on both sides. The person who is the, quote, boundary setter or the professional nagger has lost all respect for themselves. Dr. Lori, because yeah. they aren't willing to do the next step that we need to talk about, which is consequences. And so they have no respect for themselves. They keep going back to the well that doesn't work, and they're staying in a hellacious relationship, which means they don't respect themselves. And their partner surely doesn't respect them because they've never stopped doing what they've been asked to stop. Exactly. We're talking with David Essel, best-selling author, counselor, master life coach, and minister about codependency, uh, emotionally abusive relationships. You can call them what you will. They're toxic relationships and they are not good for us. Um, and many people get caught up in this type of relationship without really recognizing it for what it is. But we need to, we need to be able to see what, what is going on here and then why and then from that point on what we can do differently because I think people get stuck right they it's like I try to set consequences well of course they don't follow through they're like but what am I supposed to do kick him out what am I supposed to do uh, uh you know uh, leave and so they don't they're so afraid of like really setting that consequence that then there is no other consequence what what else could they do Oh, exactly. I'm working with a couple right now, and I've been working with the wife for eight weeks, the husband about four weeks. And after the second session, I said to the wife, you know, you have been setting boundaries for 12 years in the marriage. You have never set a consequence. Um, you know, your husband is taking the family down financially, alcohol, gambling, the whole nine yards. And so she listened, and this was the first time that she ever had a counselor that she listened to. She even told me that. She goes, right. you know, I've worked with counselors that told me I need to do something, but I'm ready now. And this is amazing, Lori. Within seven days after our first session, I had encouraged her to draw up a contract. And the contract said that, number one, you must leave the house. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is big. Number two, you must be sober. Number three, you must be free of your gambling addiction. And number four, if all of the above are followed for 90 straight days, we will then talk about you coming back into the house. So the husband had to move out. They have kids. He comes over every night to see the kids. And this is in the contract. You know, we, we do it very thoroughly. And what was really interesting about this whole situation, and I don't know if we can save their marriage or not. I'm, we don't quite know yet, but this is the good news. After when, when the wife told the husband that, you know, I'm getting serious and I'm going to work with a new counselor and he's going to be having me do some pretty intense things because I read his book. And within four weeks, not only did he move out, but he started the work with me. 
Right. So we will see. You know, now he's got huge hurdles to overcome, but for the very first time in 12 years, I mean, this dysfunction has been going on for 12 years. For the very first time, she set a boundary with a consequence, held it, and now he's just beginning to respect her, Lori. Right, exactly. And I, I, I've seen this time and time again, but sometimes with couples that have been together for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. So we're talking about sometimes decades of this kind of behavior. What do you think of people who say, um, well, like sometimes I will ask, well, what keeps you there? Why, why do you keep taking this, right? And why are you accepting this behavior? And, and I'll often get the answer, well, I'm, I want to keep the family together. Oh, that is a death knell. You know, like, so, so in our new book, we talk about, you know, several families that I've worked with and the incredible anxiety, the, the depression that the children pick up. Um, the, the, there's one that I told in the new book that, that the, the little boy became a bully in the neighborhood because he's watching his dad bully his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so to the answer to your question, 25, 30 years ago, I think all of us in the world of counseling used to say the same thing. Whatever you do, keep mom and dad and the kids together. Right. And 30 days later, I'm saying to people, you know, if your wife or husband is draining the family of finances and they refuse to get help or they're, you know, addicted to to any kind of substance or behavior and they refuse to get help, the best thing in the world for the kids would be for the parents to separate and possibly divorce. Because being in that negative energy, you know, kids are little sponges. That little brain, that subconscious, it's taken in. And I said to this gentleman that I was just referring to who the wife asked to move out, when we had our session last week, I said to him, do you know that 50% of my practice are kids like yours who have grown up in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s and are totally dysfunctional? That's, I said the, those same words today in a session, actually. <laughs> exactly those same words. Um, we're talking about abusive relationships, codependent relationships with David Essel, who's a best-selling author. He has a new book coming out uh, soon, not yet, but soon. Uh, talking about uh, how we get into these relationships. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Tonight we're talking about uh, emotionally abusive relationships, codependent relationships with uh, David Essel, who's a best-selling author, counselor, master life coach. A couple of texts here, David, that I want to share uh, share with us. I was in an abusive relationship for three years before I woke up and realized nobody deserved to be treated the way I was. Sadly, I'm watching a friend of mine experience the same, but will not take my advice to run, not walk from the creep she is living with. What happens in those situations? It's like people around you can see what's going on. They may try to give you advice, but what is it that blocks us from heeding that advice or even listening to to people who care about us clearly, who don't want to see us in these abusive relationships? Dr. Lori, it's no different than having a friend who's an alcoholic and you say to them, hey, listen, you know, like last week, you you know, did this ridiculous thing at the party, lost three of your best friends. And they go, I know, I know. Do you ever think about quitting drinking? You know what? It it just was that one time. 
Well, what about the week before? Well, that we can't count that because it was my birthday. And what about the week before? In other words, we can give great advice to people, but it really is up to the person to reach what you and I both know the term, the bottom, until they reach enough pain that they're willing to leave. There's very few of us that are logical when it comes especially to addictions or relationships where someone would say, hey, you know, I don't think this is really great the way the grad is treating you. And you go, yeah, you're right. I'm going to end it. You know, right, that right. rarely ever happens. You, you um, know what's, I just share a, a little anecdote. I was uh, working with somebody who um, for years was in a horribly abusive relationship. And I mean, probably the worst I've ever seen. And, but was very codependent, like really a loving, wonderful person who kept giving the, her husband chances and believing him. And you could see the web of manipulation over the years until finally, until it was in her face, in other words, where there was clear evidence of his, of his bad behavior, especially of his cheating behavior. And only then it had to really like hit her plain as day in, in the face to be able to finally put an end to it. And then everybody around her was telling her what a horrible person he was, but she, she felt like, why didn't anybody tell me this before? But I think people did try. I just don't think she heard it. No. And, and you know, when, when we don't want to change, when we're afraid of being alone or we're afraid of starting over again or whatever the fear is, you know, that is very powerful. And, when I mentioned earlier, Lori, where does all this codependent nature come from? How do we get sucked into abusive relationships? Why can't we leave them easily? Mm-hmm. A great story on Monday, I started with a client, and both of them, both the husband and the wife, were raised in outrageously codependent, abusive marriages from their moms and dads. So their first two marriages were an absolute reflection of how they grew up. Right. And. And the guy on Monday said, when I asked him about his family history, and I said, you know, geez, it looks like there's some repetition going on here. All of a sudden, there was silence on the phone, and he goes, how come no one else has tied that together? Like, you know, because what I was sharing with them is you guys are working off of a subconscious mindset that was filled from zero to 18 with your mom and dad's behavior that was unhealthy, but because you're zero to 18 – you didn't have the mental bandwidth to be able to differentiate and say, this is horrendous. Hmm. And so those messages, Lori, get stuck. And what happens with kids is we go, we look at mom and dad arguing, fighting, addicted, uh, abusing emotionally each other. And the subconscious mind says, this is love. Right, exactly. This is, what, we, this is what it looks like. Yeah, and so we just subconsciously repeat it. I mean, I'm not saying that anyone you know, wakes up one day and says, I can't wait to find a dad like mine who abused my mom. Uh, we're not saying it's consciously done, right. but we are saying without a doubt, it's a subconscious reaction to something that they saw for 18 straight years, let's say. Yeah. I, I Interesting. Here's a, from, uh, from a texter. I left my abusive husband when I was pregnant because I didn't want our child to be born into a toxic home. It was the healthiest decision I made. And now my adult son is a healthy, balanced young man. The real fear for me was not to leave, but rather to stay. Now that's a strong woman who made that choice. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now there, now that, that's a unicorn. That is a beautiful example of a woman with high self-esteem and high self-confidence. And I I say it's a unicorn because for all of our listeners today, 
You know, most of us have experienced emotionally unhealthy relationships. True. Most of us don't come out of school and get into your first one and all of a sudden it's, you know, heaven on earth. Right. It, there, there's a lot of dysfunction. Yeah. I think that what we need to do with this is really highlight the strength of this last woman who texted you. That is, she is strong, she is beautiful, and every woman and every man listening to the show should have the same level of self-respect and self-worth that she does. Yeah, very true. So is there a difference, like the, my initial question was, the uh, codependent men and codependent women, how do you see them as different, or are they? Maybe... You know what, they, they can run across the board and be identical. The stereotypical answer to your question, Dr. Laurie, about a codependent man, most, the average codependent man is going to look for women to save. They're going to look for women that they can control. They're going to look for women that need them, that are needy, that are financially insecure, that whatever it might be. So the codependent man, more often than not, will try to find someone like that because it makes him feel bigger, better, stronger, faster. So he'll tend to give a lot, but give a lot financially, take care of a lot, and, and, and then end up feeling used quite a bit by that partner. Absolutely. And, and then the partner who thinks he's the, the, the white knight on the horse coming in to save her, she loves it initially, right? Like, oh, my God, you know, he sent flowers. No one's ever sent flowers in my office. He does this. He does that. He does that. And then she starts to resent because there's always a catch. With his savior mentality, he will then expect complete obedience, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so she's all excited at first, and then he's all excited to save her, and then all of a sudden the roles start to change. She becomes resentful because he's controlling, and he becomes resentful because she doesn't have the gratitude she should for everything he does for her. Right. Yeah, that's, that's one example for sure. Oh, God, yeah. But you know what? We, you know, I, I write in my new book about you know, my codependent nature, and as a counselor, I'm not even embarrassed or ashamed to share this story. It's just the truth. But I was in that mode of saving. You know, I would look for women that needed help, that had great potential. You know, the other thing we say is codependent people love to date individuals for their potential. <laughs> and yes, because they see the good. They have a tendency to look for the good in somebody and will kind of ignore the rest of it, you know. But everybody mostly has some good in them. So Oh, sure. Right, but you can't I just mean, look for that. No, no. And so you, you look and go, oh, my gosh, you know, they have this potential. They have that potential. But in 1997, and, and the story I completely write out is that a counselor, a friend of mine said, hey, I want to work with you. And if you'll work with me, I got some issues to work through. And within a month, she looked at me one day. And now in 1997, Lori, the only thing I really honestly knew about codependency was from the book Codependent No More. Right, which was about alcoholism and, and such. Right, we didn't use that term very much in psych circles. No. Yeah. And, and so, you know, this counselor says to me, David, you are the most codependent man in intimate relationships I've ever met. And I'm looking at her and going, wait a minute, you know, I'm not out there saving alcoholics and drug addicts, and I'm not doing this, and I own my own business for all these years. And she said, you're not getting it. You know, every woman that you go to get into a relationship with needs you or needs to be saved 
or needs to be told she's beautiful, you know, 20 hours a day. Amazing, when, need... amazing, David, when, when the mirror is put up to us, right? Oh, <laughs> David, we're going to take a break, come back and talk about, uh, well, what people can do. Like, wh- how do we begin to uh, get out of these, uh, these types of situations? With David Essel, best-selling author, counselor, and master life coach, talking about codependent relationships here tonight. This is Passion on CJAD 800. So let's say now you recognize that you're in an unhealthy, emotionally abusive relationship. You can recognize yourself as the codependent, but the question is now what? Uh, David Essel is uh, my guest. He's a best-selling author, counselor, master life coach, and he joins me on this relationship hour on passion. Now, just a, uh, this text actually is a, a answers. Well, it doesn't answer, but adds to this, and we might want to answer this. What happens when you set a consequence like you need to move out, but you don't have the financial means to do it? So. A lot of people will say, I can't leave, right? Or mm-hmm. we can't split up because of the, either the kids, the family, the money. Uh, I can't support myself. So what do you say to these people? Well, if it's a woman, I immediately say to them, um, if, if there's a money issue, is get to your, your closest women's shelter, ASAP, because they offer free counseling. And if it's that bad, you can move into the shelter until you get yourself you know, situated. Right. Um, if it's really abusive, they're, they're really, they're not, and if you, don't, if you don't have any money and it's very abusive, the best thing to do is go and get yourself protection, Lori. Um, that's in, that's in like, let's say the, the, the dangerous or physically abused, but let's just say we're talking about, you're recognizing you're in a toxic relationship. It's not good for you. You don't deserve this emotional stuff, but it's not, you're not, your life isn't in immediate danger, but there's all kinds of, reasons we can give ourselves why we won't do it, right? I remember talking to a friend who was in a, a this type of relationship. She'd been in the relationship for a good 20-something years and finally decided to leave and actually said to me, I would rather live in a cardboard box than live another day with this man. You know, like that was her, that was her thinking. And of course, financially it was a different situation. And of course there was going, you know, her, her standard of living was going to take a hit, but it, for her, it was like when she finally got to that point of self-love it mm-hmm. didn't matter, you know, but I get the struggle. I mean, I let's, yeah. I, I'm sensitive to people's struggles too, and they may get used to a certain type of life or they may have been stay at home moms and have no, they have no access to finances, but the law yeah. is on their side. We have to remember that as well. Yeah. And, and Dr. Lori, even if it isn't physical, if it's extreme emotional abuse, I still say, if you have no money and you're scared, go to a shelter. Get counseling there. Get yourself on your feet, number one. Number two, if it's obnoxious but it isn't damaging, which is a very fine line, um, you know, psychological damaging, it's just like an emotional affair is just as damaging as a physical affair for people. Mm -hmm. Well, emotional abuse is just as damaging as physical abuse, which is why I always say if it's that bad, get into a shelter if you don't have money. The right. second thing we do is we help women, and we'll just say stereotypically women here, 
We help women to start to put aside money, to start to take classes to get a job. If they have to do it on the down low, they do it on the down low. Mm. But, you know, individuals that start right now to think about, okay, I need to be out of here in six months or eight months. What do I need to do now? Create a plan in writing, you know, about how how am I going to make the money? Where is it coming from? How much do I need? in order to get into the lowest rent that I can get into. Get a plan in writing of what the options are. What are the resources in the community that can help you? Again, is it a church? Is it a spiritual center? Is it a women's shelter? But the problem, Lori, a lot of people do is that they'll try to pull this off on their own. And they'll get a foot out the door, and then their partner will say something seductive to pull them back in, or they'll threaten them to pull them back in. Exactly. You know, and we need other people on our side to help us break this cycle. Yeah, that's a very good point because there is a tendency to go back. You know, there's an old uh, saying, I I don't remember where this comes from, but something like it takes like uh, sometimes six times, you know, back for just like the quitter, right? How many times you have to fall and get back on the wagon and fall and, you know, so that that can happen multiple times before Mm -hmm the final time, but having the support around you, like even family support, friends, letting them all know what you're going through and and getting that I think is important. Just a couple of uh, other texts. Uh, First of all, it says, wow, bravo to that woman who left, inspirational. So yes, Mm. it was inspirational. Uh, I left, another one says, I left a 32-year 32-year codependent abusive relationship with nothing but my life. I got a second major cancer uh, right after. It's been 12 years and a major struggle to survive after a third cancer. But I'm free, and I can't believe I stayed that long. I've worked retail the past 12 years. I support myself completely, and I have hope. So imagine, even in the most dire of circumstances, and you, you know, suffering with illnesses like this, but just the words, I'm free. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, again, let me go back and, and just herald that last person that did work through the cancer, work those jobs to be free. Every person listening to your show right now, Dr. Lori, who's in an emotionally abusive relationship, this is probably the most powerful show you'll ever hear. Because we have two women who have written in and saying, I have stood up, I am victorious, I am independent, I am strong. That's what all women and men in unhealthy, emotionally abusive relationships need to hear. I, and, and by the way, gang, your, this, this uh, broadcast with Dr. Lori is on tape. It's going to be on a podcast. If you need to listen to it again to give you strength, if you have friends that need to listen to these people calling in and giving us hope, please share this mm-hmm. show when we're done. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. Thank you for promoting passion. <laughs> I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's so much to say about this, you know, I, and actually tomorrow night I, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, just the, the subtle signs of emotional abuse. I read a very interesting article that, that looked at, the uh, the very subtle signs but this is part of the problem is that emotional abuse can be quite subtle whereas physical abuse is is very overt like you know you're being when your partner hits you it's obvious right you, you got right. a black eye you know you're being abused but emotional abuse can be so insidious because the the abuser also claims to love you you know there's also there's a way of 
it's it's manipulative that it makes you feel like the crazy person. Oh, that is so common. I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Lori. It is so common that when you know things are really amiss, but your partner is so good at spinning it into a manipulation that it's you. You are so lucky to be with me. You'll never find anyone that treats you and loves you like this. I love you more than anyone could ever love you. And you hear that after you've been screamed at, put down, cut apart, pushed, whatever it is. A lot of people will start to believe those statements, even though there's nothing that makes them valid. Yeah. It's uh, Anyway, there's so much more to say. But, David, we'll have you back on, and especially when the book comes out. You're, uh, we're on that. All right. Uh, where can people reach you, David? Oh, it's so easy, Dr. Lori. Just go to talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K david.com, talkdavid.com. We have got a ton of free programs there. There's all kinds of audios that will help you. We have a codependency kills course. Our books there like Focus, Slay Your Goals has a complete section, a chapter six on love and codependency. So talkdavid.com, tons of free stuff, really valid information. And sign up to get uh, David's uh, motivational minute every day in your inbox. <laughs> That's what? That's totally free. I love that. <laughs> David, we'll speak again soon. Take care. You have a great night. All Bye right, now. you too. That's uh, David Essel, a, a regular guest here on Passion. That was our relationship, and I thank you for sharing your stories with us and your heartbreaking stories and some very victorious stories and very inspirational, so thank you so much. Um, Thanks to our technical producer, Aaron Lakoff, tonight. If you want to connect with me on social media, it's at Dr. Lori Batito. If you go to my website, drlori.com, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com, you can find the podcasts of all past shows and this one. So if you want to listen to it again, as David said, or share it, uh, then please feel free to do that, or you could do that through iHeartRadio uh, as well. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening, and remember to live your life with passion.